Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning in again uh, to the podcast this week. I appreciate you being here. Uh, by the time you hear this, I will be um, trying to think of what day this episode is going to release. Uh, regardless, I'll be away from home. Uh, I'm, I'll be on vacation with my family, and so I'm recording and scheduling this episode uh, the week uh, before it's to come out uh, so that you all still have some content lined up and so that we don't have another uh, break in our recording and publishing schedule. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure exactly what will be going on in the world by the time you hear this. Hopefully it'll be good, maybe not, but if it's something of note, I promise we'll talk about it at some point. Uh, but regardless, I'm glad that you're tuning in. I hope that you're doing well and enjoying uh, these summer months as I am, as I'm kind of resetting and preparing to start 1L in law school this August. And I'm sure we'll have some interesting guests uh, that I'll be able to meet through that experience that we'll uh, have a chance to talk to and uh, tell some stories. But I'm really glad that you all are tuning in for this episode. I had the honor of having on the podcast a very good friend of mine, uh, Julia Mattingly. Julia just finished her a bachelor's degree at the University of Louisville. She has actually been accepted into a PhD program at George Washington University uh, in Washington, D.C. to study public policy with an emphasis on uh, rural health, which is what Julia and I discuss uh, in this episode. She and I actually met when we were both at uh, Moorhead State University here in Kentucky back, uh, I guess, five years ago, 2018 it was, uh, for the Governor Scholars Program. And so I've uh, uh, really enjoyed being able to see all the great work that she's done. She's done a lot of lobbying uh, in Frankfurt for pieces of legislation uh, in regards to um, promoting accessibility and uh, uh, funding of rural health across Kentucky, which, uh, you know, as folks in rural areas uh, who are listening in, whether you're from Appalachia or not, just rural areas in general know that uh, uh, access to health care and affordable and high-quality health care is not only important, but at times it can be very challenging. And there are a lot of uh, obstacles to finding uh, good, affordable uh, accessible care here in Appalachia, and again, uh, just about anywhere in um, rural places that you could find, uh, there is a lot of difficulty in in getting access to high quality care, and um, not to mention issues of affordability and so forth. And you know, this is a topic that is important to me, as I'm sure it is to many of you all out there. You know, I, as I'm sure a lot of you know, some folks who have struggled with uh, access to care, and uh, you know, it's it's a travesty. It's a travesty because nobody should ever worry about not having access to care when they're sick. Whether they're from Appalachia or whether they're from uh, somewhere else, whether they're from a rural or an urban place, no matter how much money they're making, nobody should worry about not having access to health care, especially in a country like the United States, the richest country in the history of the world. We're the only industrialized country that doesn't have a universal system of health care that guarantees care to everybody. Uh, and it, if everyone else does it, why can't we? We have the resources to do it. It's just, I guess, a question of whether we have the, the will to do it. And uh, and there still is a lot of struggle in fighting for access to care and access to affordable care for workers and for poor people and for folks all across the country who've been marginalized, who've been forgotten. Uh, and I'm sure that that will just continue to be a really pressing issue, especially as we shape up for another presidential election. I know we'll hear a lot of talk about expanding uh, care for folks, but you know it's hard to say how much action will actually be undertaken uh, to make that a reality. Uh, but regardless, it's important that we still talk about uh, issues relating to rural health, and in so doing, we can talk about ways that we ourselves can take action to stand up and to advocate for getting that kind of affordable 
uh, accessible, high-quality care that we all deserve. Again, whether you're from Appalachia or not, whether you're from a rural or an urban place, uh, health care, in my view, and I know a lot of other folks feel the same way, is a human right not to be treated like that, not as a commodity. Uh, and so I was really glad to uh, have Julie on the show to talk about these issues and talk about her work and her research in this area. Uh, we also talk about some ways that uh, uh, how we can uh, uh, take action ourselves to advocate for policies that uh, broaden access to, to care and broaden the opportunities in rural health care uh, for folks to go into to make sure we have uh, people in that field doing that important work. Uh, so I, I really hope that you all enjoy listening to this uh, conversation I had with Julia. Before I forget, make sure to rate and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple, or whatever platform that you listen on uh, so that I can know what you think and your ideas about the show and, and, and things like that. I'm really interested to hear what you all think and your opinions and uh, how I can uh, just make the show as good as it can be for you guys. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting the podcast, however that you do, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. So let's get into it. All right. Well, Julia, again, thank you so much for uh, being on. I've been looking forward to this as I as I was telling you for uh, a, a while now since I since I reached out to you. I, I'm so thankful to have somebody like you as such an advocate for not only rural people in rural places, but for this state that you and I both love so much. It's Commonwealth, I should say. And thank you. Yeah, thank you. You're very welcome. And I, I've just been really excited to to have this uh, talk with you in an area that you know so much about and that you're pursuing further studies in. And uh, before we get started in in our talk, uh, I just want to give you these first few minutes to uh, introduce yourself, talk about your your background, um, uh, anything about yourself you'd like to say, anything at all to get us started in our, in our discussion. Please go right ahead. The floor is yours. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you for your kind words. Uh, it's really an honor to be on this. This is my first podcast. Also, love your cup, by the way. I have that same one. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's a good one. <laughs> um, but yeah, my name is Julia Manningly. I am currently a senior at the University of Louisville. Um, I was born and bred in a small town called Cloverport, which is in Breckenridge County. Somewhat, I guess some may say it's in Western Kentucky. I don't know if I really would consider it Western Kentucky because it's not quite west of Bowling Green, but it's more it's it's halfway between Louisville and Owensboro. Is sure. how I would say. <laughs> um, it's all it's all relative when you're talking about Kentucky, and <laughs> that's the important part is is the state itself. <laughs> yeah, and culturally, I'm not quite sure what part of the state it best fits in because um, there's so many regional differences in the state. I guess sure. we're probably I think we're just like our own little. Thing. Your own thing. Yeah. I would say. <laughs> it's like a mix of Central Kentucky culture and Western Kentucky culture. Um, but yeah, I was born to a big family, big Irish Catholic family. Um, my dad is a pharmacist at our local critical access hospital. This is always how I tell people I got really into rural health care because of my dad. I I would not be doing any of this if it wasn't for my dad. Um, and he is someone that I really look up to. And so back in 2018, um, it was my senior year of high school. 
our local hospital, which I'm not sure how familiar you are with like rural health terms, but <laughs> I will try my best to explain this. So our local hospital is designated as a critical access hospital, which is a federal designation that was created in like the 1980s. Um, basically, it means it's a very small hospital, has a limited number of services, but it gets a higher percentage of reimbursement from Medicare and Medicaid to kind of help. It was kind of designed to help communities where there's, you know, a very old population, poor population, uninsured population, which is, you know, your rural Kentucky communities. Right. And so um, my dad started working there, I think, I want to say 2008. It was the year after the recession. And so he's been there for close to 15 years now. So in 2018, uh, the small critical access hospital in my town went to our local fiscal court in Breckenridge County proposing an increase in county, county property taxes in hopes that that extra funding could go towards the hospital. Sure. And so... If you know anything about rural areas, you know that increase in property taxes is <laughs> the least feasible right. <laughs> uh, proposal you can come up with, um, especially, you know, in Breckridge County, it's such an agricultural community. People have tons of land, um, it, you know, regardless of how much people care about their access to health care, you know, when farming is your way of life and right. your way to make money. It's like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with not supporting that. And so they, the fiscal court shot the proposal down, but I remember going to like the forum, basically they had this forum um, at my county high school in our auditorium. And of course I was a student at the time and I went, they were trying to get people to sign uh, petitions to go to the uh, fiscal court showing support for the proposal and I just remember like I to be honest I was not into I was kind of into public policy in general at that time but I wasn't really into like healthcare policy I was actually more interested in environmental policy at the time right um but I don't know like seeing that unfold at that forum and kind of seeing like the fellowship of the community coming together. I mean, people were there talking about how their livelihoods were on the line, how, you know, if the hospital closed, that could ultimately mean life or death for a community member. I mean, these are serious conversations we're having in this forum. And I remember thinking somebody needs to do something about this. I mean, right. if, if this proposal doesn't pass in the fiscal court, which it didn't look like it was going to, it's like, what are we going to do? I mean, right. you know, the next nearest hospital in my hometown is probably 45 minutes to Litchfield. If you live on the west end of the county, like I do, you could drive to Owensboro, which is another 45 minutes. But like, regardless, if you're in critical condition, I mean, that's just not ideal for anyone. Right. And so going to that forum was very pivotal for me um, and kind of seeing how much like, like my dad would just come home and just be very worried. He's not going to have a job by the next day. And luckily, you know, if you're a pharmacist, the job market's like pretty good, but if you don't have a hospital, 
to work at or you don't have a local pharmacy to work at because all these local hospitals and pharmacies are closing, then that can be a very scary position. And so I had a very personal stake in this um, because of my dad and because of my love for my community. And so that's how I really got invested in it. Um, but yeah, like I said, I was always kind of interested in public policy and I knew I wanted to go into politics, but I think at that time in my life, I was like, well, I like public policy, but what's going to be my thing? Like right. what's going to be my niche? Because I've come to find out that, you know, working in Frankfurt or working in DC, wherever I've been that, you know, <laughs> federal and state government move at a snail's pace. Oh yeah. And it takes persistence and perseverance to get any of your goals accomplished. Sure. And so you need to be advocating for issues that you have a stake in, or right. at least someone in your community has a stake in, because it takes a lot of drive <laughs> to get anything done in the U.S. government. And this has been the thing for me. Like, I feel like my my passion on this will never run out because I have that background to kind of like help me a lot. Um, right. And so I feel like that was a really long winded way of uh, answering your background question, but that's not at all. Not at all. <laughs> general way of how I got into this and how my upbringing has influenced me in that way. Yeah. And, and I think that is so important to, the wider discussions that people are having about rural health right now, particularly since you're someone who, like, like you just said, is deeply invested in the in the issue itself because mm -hmm. of how much of an impact it had on you and still has on you and on your community. And, you know, you hear a lot of talk about ways to revitalize Kentucky, not just in eastern Kentucky, but across the state and similarly um, areas that are experiencing similar problems. And mm -hmm. A crucial part of that, I feel, is that we have to have people like you who come from these areas and have those lived experiences that inform the work that you've done in the policy arena to show the the folks who are going to be deciding uh, if, if a bill makes it through committee or if it makes it through the legislature or if it's signed. Your advocacy shows the human side of this. And here is somebody who's actually dealt personally or knows somebody who has dealt personally with the problems in this policy area. And so that's so you, you can't at all leave that part out of it in discussions about how to revitalize and how to help or generally help uh, places across Kentucky. And I mean, across anywhere you could look, really, uh, that, yeah. that are experiencing issues like this. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm curious. I know that you're you're shaping up to start your your Ph.D. program in this same area. And so uh, what is that area in rural health that you have um your most specialized interest in or that you want to uh, study in that program and where you'd like to see uh, your, your research take you? Yeah. So uh, I have taken an offer for a PhD program in public policy at George Washington university. I will be doing a research assistantship with a professor, um, They've got something called the Mullen Institute. It's really interesting at George Washington that they have this, honestly, because it's such an urban area. You wouldn't think that they would have a center that focuses on this, but it's called the Mullen Institute for Healthcare Workforce Equity. And so 
this has been most like I'm also very interested in the rural hospital closures piece of it, but I would say if there's like a part of rural healthcare I'm most interested in, it's workforce. Um, because, you know, as I've kind of learned with my dad, the people that are working in rural healthcare, you know, they're working, they've got kids, they've got, you know, other jobs maybe at times. Right. They're in all over the country. They can't go to DC and advocate. They can't right. go to Frankfurt and advocate on behalf of themselves in this issue. And so that's kind of how I've gotten into it is, you know, I feel like I'm trying to study each part of it the best I can to where I can help people in these positions like my dad that do care about this, but don't have the means to go to Frankfurt or DC to do it. Right. I would say the main thing I'm looking to study uh, in my PhD program is loan repayment programs. <laughs> and so I don't know how familiar you are with this, but this is a common thing that they use to incentivize uh clinicians especially to come work in rural healthcare settings. And so I'm kind of looking to study the efficacy of these programs. One in particular is called the National Health Service Corps. It's a federal, federally funded program that's like a 50-50% match. So like 50% gets paid by the federal government and then 50% gets paid by the employer that the healthcare provider works in. And so, for instance, like someone may go to L medicine school and then they've come out with 200,000 in loans. I don't know however much they have, but it's probably a lot nowadays. Right. And um, they need a way to pay off their loans. And it's going to take a really long time if they, you know, just have a normal job. And so a lot of the times they'll choose to go work in what's called health professional shortage areas. Um, and there's like a certain, in order to get the loan repayment, it's like you have to stay for a number of years. Right. Um, I can't remember how many years it is for the National Health Service Corps, but a lot of the times what happens, and this is the, the part that I'm really interested in, is normally the clinicians will stay in the rural area until they get their loans paid off and then they leave. Okay. Uh, and that's that's an issue to me, right? Because um, I'm looking at ways that we can retain people, and I know this is this is a conversation we're having all across various industries in rural areas. I mean, right. manufacturing, healthcare, education. How do we retain people? I mean, we're we've got a lot of policy out there to recruit people, but not very many good ones at retaining people, and so. I'm really interested in studying that and your high school, you know, in Kentucky may have had something similar, but my high school had like a, it was like a healthcare track program that we did through our area technology school. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah. And so I'm kind of interested in looking more into those because the people that would be most likely to, I guess, be retained in these communities working as a healthcare provider are people that are from those communities right. and understand the people and the issues. Um, there are a few cases where, you know, someone from an urban area comes into a rural area, they work at healthcare and they really like it and they decide to stay, but that's just, those are very few and far between. I mean, most of the time, 
your local physician or nurse practitioner is someone that grew up in the area. And so I'm really interested in policies that state government and federal government can invest in to, you know, really lift up people that are in these rural communities and give them, whether it be scholarship, loan repayment, some other incentive to stay in area. Um, I think the biggest issue we're seeing, though, is that, at least with the exception of Pikeville Medical, or not Pikeville Medical, U Pike, sorry, um, you know, in Kentucky, think about where your medical schools are. Right. You know, they're in your urban epicenters. They're in Louisville, and they're in Lexington, and they're in U Pike. Right. U Pike is definitely the exception to that because they have like an amazing DO program, and that's considered in a very rural area. But you know, more often than not, your medical schools are in urban areas. Right. And so that I think is probably one of the biggest issues because, you know, during medical school, you have to do your clinical core rotations. Uh, and oftentimes, like I know I have a roommate, uh, she's a nursing student at UofL and she does her rotations at UofL hospital. I mean, it's not easy to tell a college student or a medical student that you have to drive out to Breckenridge County every day to do your rotations. Like that's right. just not ideal. Right. A lot of the times, you know, where these students do their clinical core rotations or where they do their residency has a huge influence on where they ultimately decide to practice. And so, you know, when these uh, medical schools are located in urban epicenters, then, it's like, well, no it's wonder. Like you're, you're, yeah, you're. It's just perpetuating the. Yeah. It, it's not even that they would want to leave those areas that they're from if they're from a rural area. It's just mm -hmm. there's not many other options available to them. Yeah, it's like why? Why would they? Like most of these students don't even have experience working in rural healthcare environment, right. let alone going to a rural area. I mean, so I'm kind of focused on how can we you know, either, which that's like a big hill to climb, but how can we figure out ways to expose more medical students to working in rural healthcare environments? Because that's just not something that we're seeing a lot of currently, at least in Kentucky. Um, yeah. Right. So uh, I'm curious, are there any, uh, I know you mentioned scholarships and, and loan repayment. Uh, do you know of any, uh, efforts to codify anything like that or strengthen the loan repayment program? I know there's been a big push to on in the, the, the field of working in, in the legal field, for instance, there's been a big push to have more loan forgiveness for people working in public service um, uh, aspects such as uh, public defenders. Is there anything similar like that for uh, medical workers who or folks who go to work in these uh, rural uh, settings, are there efforts underway in Frankfurt or in DC that you know of perhaps that are working to strengthen those programs or offer more of them? To like help retain people more. Right, right, right. Yeah. So there have been a couple bills in the state legislature that I have really been interested in um, that I think would be very good ways to help retain people. One in particular is the Preceptor Tax Incentive Program. Um, that was sponsored by Rep. Kim Moser, 
it basically every year for the last several years it's been sponsored oh, it wow. never goes anywhere wow. <laughs> in frankfurt i there may have been a couple years that it has uh gotten to committee but from my understanding it has never gotten like a floor vote um but something similar has passed in georgia and i think a couple other states i think maryland maybe hawaii a couple other states have implemented this basically what it is is um so a preceptor like how i was talking with the medical or your clinical rotations that you do during medical school in your third and fourth year uh, a preceptor is basically like you know how we go intern that's what politics kids right, do right right <laughs> follow legislator around all day that's kind of what your preceptor is like your practicing physician nurse practitioner pa oh, that okay. medical student basically like shadows gotcha. and follows around all day and so medical students are required to do this during their third and fourth year and so there's a huge preceptor shortage in kentucky because it's voluntary and it's unpaid right and so especially in rural areas, we're seeing, you know, a lot of uh, clinicians don't want to precept students because, you know, it can be a burden when you have, you're seeing such a high volume of patients. It can be a burden to have a student, you know, following you around all day, having sure. to tell them this, this, if you're not, you know, getting compensated for it in any way. Um, and so basically what Kim Moser's bill proposes is, that preceptors get a tax credit uh, based on the number of rotations that they precept. So like one rotation is 160 hours. And so they could do like, they have to do a minimum, a precept, a minimum of three students throughout the year in order to get one tax credit, but then they can precept up to 10. Oh, okay. And so I think that this is something that's really important that needs to get done in Kentucky because yeah. I see the preceptor tax incentive program as a great way to, you know, help expose medical students to working in rural healthcare environments. Right. Um, and so I'm really hoping someday that will get codified into law. Um, I know Senator Alvarado was a big advocate for that as well. Now he's, he's uh, in Tennessee working, but I would really like to see, you know, other state legislators, take on that initiative or any other initiative that, you know, would help to retain more healthcare providers in rural areas. Definitely. Definitely. Um, especially when I, I have a couple of friends who are looking into uh, med school here and I would say a majority of them go into that field um, to, to affect change, positive change for folks who might not otherwise have, who might not otherwise have access to that kind of care. And when you can, have a program like that that it, it attracts people to see the challenges that um, these rural communities and uh, hospitals or other medical institutions in those places are facing and the people themselves are facing. That's such a rich opportunity, um, not only for them to, if they're not from a rural area, for instance, to learn about the problems that these different uh, uh, areas are facing, but especially if they are from a similar background and a similar uh, experience, they can um, see the parallels between their community and this one that they're working in. And, and I'm sure there are so, so many other opportunities too, to attract really capable and, and good intention students to work in, in an area that has such a, such a high need for it as you were, as you were mm -hmm. saying so well. 
And, um, and you know, that's for me and, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would probably agree with this. That is one of the most important aspects of public policy in general is implementing changes that actually are implementing policies that lead to actual betterment down the road and in a tangible way too. And it's, uh, like you said, it's almost always at a snail's pace, but um, when you actually do reach that point where something better can come of it, then that's, that's the whole goal of, of public policy, I think. And, exactly. um, and, and another big part of that, I think, is, is advocacy. And I know that you've done some work uh, in uh, advocating in, in the, uh, the uh, General Assembly here in Kentucky, for instance, for, for bills that you supported. Um, and so I, I was curious, is there any way that students, whether they're from a rural health, a healthcare, a public policy background or not, uh, or just people in general, what, from your experience, what would you say is the most important way that people can advocate for measures to improve access to, just for, for an example, rural, rural health care, access to health care in rural areas? Because I know that that's, as I'm sure that you and I both know, that's a really, really big concern for folks in rural communities is access to uh, good health care, uh, regardless of that. That's one thing that has uh, by overwhelming bipartisan uh, approval is yeah. improving access to care. And, and that's what's and, good about it. <laughs> yeah, that's what's good about it and the quality of that care. So uh, what would you say is a good starting point for advocating for policies like that that lead to that kind of positive change? Well, yeah. So, I mean, first, I would do a good bit of research, you know, right. find the organizations you know, whether it be in Louisville, Lexington, or statewide, wherever you are, that do this work. I mean, just to name a few, like, I've worked with National Rural Health Association on the federal level. You know, there's Kentucky Primary Care Association. I mean, there's all, there's an association for everything. Right. (laughs) And a lot of the times they have organized, like, lobby days. Um, So, that's how I got involved with National Rural Health Association. The downside to this is, you know, it, it is voluntary most of the time. You are going to have to find the means to get to Frankfurt or D.C. Fortunately, National Rural Health Association, and I'm sure a couple other associations do this, they offer scholarships to students that want to come to their lobby days and oh, advocate wow. because they, they value our voices so much. Sure. And I know that a lot of other associations um, also really value student input, too, because, um, you know, that's not something that they don't really see a lot of college students coming up there and advocating on behalf of a group. Right. Um, but, you know, I think a good way to start, and it depends on your your partisan leaning, but I know that both the, you know, Kentucky Democrats group uh, or the Young Democrats group, and then Kentucky Young Republicans groups, both are college uh, Democrats and college Republicans groups, both have lobby days or times where they go and advocate. Um, so, and like, also, there's nothing stopping anyone from going as a private citizen on your right. own. <laughs> so that's another part of it. I think it can be very daunting to go by yourself, but if you really care, the legislator is going to see that you really care about it. And so what I try to do in Frankfurt is because I've gone as a private citizen multiple times, I'm not advocating on any particular group, uh, just as a constituent Right. Go to your legislator. That's, you know, whether it's your state Senator uh, your state house rep, 
and they would be the most likely to take a meeting with you because they have an interest in talking to their constituent. Right. And so that's where I would go first if you are really interested. But also there are organized, uh, you know, groups that will also kind of help you get your foot in the door in terms of advocacy. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, well, Julia, I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, I'm so glad to see the work that you've done and and will continue to do, I know, uh, through your whole career in advocating for these these really important issues and advocating for people and advocating again for this state that we're both so proud to be a part of and that we that we love very much and uh, we have just a few minutes left and so I want to give you these last few minutes to say anything that you'd like to to close us out anything at all that you think uh, would be an important point to add uh, to the discussion anything at all like that please go right ahead and again I can't thank you enough and I'm so excited to see uh, all the great stuff that you'll keep doing. Well, thank you, TJ. Yeah, you too. You've got big things ahead. I really appreciate you having me. Um, I don't think I have anything else to add, unfortunately, but it's been really great to talk to you. Oh, it's been great to talk to you as well. And uh, you know, as we, as you go on in your studies, I know that you'll uh, be be swamped with work. But uh, any time that you'd like to be on to discuss uh, your research or anything that comes up of interest regarding rural healthcare and 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 the policy arena. Uh, you're welcome on any time, or if you just like to chat and and relive old old stories from GSP, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're you're welcome at any time. Yeah, thank you so much. I've enjoyed being on this. Well, thank you guys so much for listening again this week. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and thank you as well for all that you do to support the podcast, whether you listen, follow on social media, give an encouraging word, whatever you do and however you do it to support the podcast. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to join us again next time for another episode of Appalachian Firesides. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform that you listen on. Give me your thoughts on what you'd like, what you would change, how I could do better. Just let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your all's thoughts. If you like that background music that you're listening to, that is a piece called In the Sweet By and By by a great artist named Zachariah Hickman. Be sure to check them out on YouTube. And don't forget to follow the podcast on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on all that's going on. I hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of Appalachian Firesides. But until then, be well, love your neighbor, and do good things. Catch you guys next time. Thank you.